All right. Well, we should, we should let Richard touch. Shall I pray for him? Yeah, Would you like me to pray for you? Father, we thank you for all that you uh, show us, all that you reveal to us about your goodness and your love. And as Richard speaks to us now, we pray that there will be uh, a fresh sense of something that you show us and open up to us as uh, Richard talks from the things that he's been reading and thinking about and the things that you've been saying to him. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'll start the timer. Um, so, yeah, Graham just said about um, sharing things I've been thinking about, and this is actually something I've been thinking about probably for two or three years, and had quite a few conversations with people in the church about over two or three years, about something that seems to be quite controversial for some people. Um, and uh, so I'm going to talk about sin. Um, that's not a very sort of cheery subject, maybe, but I just want to look at it from two angles. So first of all, I'm just going to kind of draw the lines um, because in some ways there's disagreement between people in churches and between Christians about what, uh, where we stand with regards to sin when we're a Christian. But I think we're very clear and there's very little disagreement around the fact that we do understand that the, the kind of central issue for humanity is our sin, which is a rebellion against God, a rejection of his ways, uh, which leads to uh, our separation from God, uh, leads to self-centeredness, self-reliance, and ultimately to, to condemnation and eternal separation from God. So it's a big, big deal, and I think we're kind of all agreed on that. But a question which seems to keep on getting debated, and in, the, and in this church, and indeed one or two people have kind of moved on to other churches because they don't like the stand that we take on it, um, is what, what is it about, uh, where do we stand with regards to sin when we become a Christian? So I'm going to start by reading you uh, three Bible verses. Um, so John 1, 29 says, The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John declared that Jesus completely takes away the sin of the world. In 1 John 3, which is a letter that John wrote to, to Christians, uh, he says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And finally, 2 Corinthians, which is Paul writing again to a church, to Christians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. And I'll skip the next verse and go on to verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that seems pretty clear to me that Jesus came, he completely takes away the sin of the world and that those who believe in him not just get forgiven, I think we all agree about that, but actually he became sin so that we might become righteousness. That's pretty strong. That says that my identity is righteousness and there it is in the Bible. I've chosen three verses in particular, but I actually have an email in my inbox which somebody sent me, I think it was Graham actually, a long time ago with lots and lots of verses that affirm that. So there's the answer, thanks. Okay, 
hang on a minute, okay? Um, I've got some more Bible verses. So in 1 John chapter... Oh, that's the same book as I've already read from a little bit later. In fact, earlier in the same book. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Remember that John's writing to Christians and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then Paul writes about himself to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So Paul is identifying himself as a sinner. Now you could argue perhaps that he's talking about how he was before he came to Christ. Um, but again, as with the other side of the argument, um, I could uh, quote you lots more verses that cover that thing that, uh, you know, we, we, we do sin. So, so which is it? Because if we say that we have sin, then we contradict lots of what the Bible says. If we say that we have no sin, then we contradict lots of what the Bible says. So how are we going to reconcile those two? And I think that's where the debate comes, because some people think um, that actually we are completely made righteous, that our entire identity changes, we become a brand new creature, and we're completely free of sin. Whereas others argue that we are still sinners, but saved. So what? Does it matter? Actually, I think it does matter. And the reason I think it matters is that if we really, really, really believe that God has completely transformed us and made us righteousness, then that gives us full access into the presence of God. Because we know from lots and lots of passages from the Old Testament that God cannot look upon or be in the presence of sin. So he cannot be in us. The Holy Spirit cannot be placed in us if there is sin to be found in us. So if we genuinely believe that we are completely transformed by what Jesus did on the cross, then it gives us confidence to really expect to be able to be, enter into the full presence of Jesus and of God. It also means that we can expect him to be doing all the miraculous and wonderful things that we've just prayed for, like healing. But if we believe that we're actually still sinners, that kind of gives an expectation on us that there are limitations on how much we can access God, limitations on... Um, you know, what, what we can actually see God do in our lives and in the community around us. So I think it does matter. So, what, so how do you reconcile those? Now, I posted in, uh, on Facebook to read Romans 8. Uh, and, and as I've written here on my notes, it says, if you can cope with a bit of brain strain, then do go read Romans 8. <laughs> um, maybe just read it anyway and see what God says to you if you can't cope with brain strain. But it's, it's, Paul puts uh, in the letter to the Romans this kind of, two-sided argument and the paradox I've mentioned is even in that letter because he says in verse 14 the Spirit has brought about our adoption as children of God. Only nine verses later in the same chapter he says we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption. So which is it? Are we awaiting our adoption into the family of God or are we already adopted into the family of God? And the way that Paul talks about it is that he represents, we can live by the spirit or we can live by the flesh. The flesh is our natural kind of sinful way and, and by the spirit is in God's way. 
Um, and what he explains is uh, a number of things. First of all, there is no condemnation for us. The righteous requirement of God's law is fully met in us and that the Spirit gives us life because of righteousness. That's one. Second thing is, this is new. In the Old Testament, they used to make sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin, but they had to keep on going back and doing it time and time again, and people didn't change, so their sinful nature continued, and God was able to overlook it because it was kind of covered by the sacrifices. But Paul says um, the, that kind of law was weakened because of the sinfulness of people. And in another passage in Hebrews 9, it talks about those things just being a copy of what really happens in heaven and of what Jesus was to bring. Because, you know, the sort of killing of, sacrificing of goats and other animals was not really enough to bring about righteousness. The third thing it explains is that we need to live by the Spirit and that we have what we need to live by the power of the Spirit. So that's kind of the first half of the argument and he presents that very strongly. Um, but then he explains we do need to make choices. We need to make choices between living by the Spirit and be about living by the Spirit. So what that is saying is that our old thoughts and feelings don't automatically disappear. We do kind of ache for the final fulfilment of the coming of God's glory when Jesus comes back again to the end judgment, to the banishing of all evil. And we still have things that we haven't yet seen that we hope for. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness, which means that we do have weakness. Okay, so, so you've got both sides of the argument. And how I think that comes together is like this. And if oh, I only have time to do this justice. But if you put this together, um, and, and, and the health warning here is where you end up on will impact on how much you're able to really experience the power of God in your life is that we do have the full grace of God. We are righteous. He did become sin so that we could become righteousness. So we do have full access to the glory of God. We do have access to the power of God in our lives. And actually our identity has changed. This is not a kind of just a spiritual truth or kind of vague truth. Our whole identity has changed when we come, Jesus, to, come to Jesus because we become children of God. We are allowed fully into the presence of God. And we need to believe that now so that we can press into God and expect him to do great things. And to fail to believe that, I think, represents a rejection of so many passages and verses of God's word that it means that we're not aligning with God's truth. I'm slightly over time, but I'm going to keep going for a short time. Um, but we do sometimes commit sins. We're still in human bodies, we're still weak, and to fail to believe that represents a rejection of so many passages of God's word and of God's truth. But the, the point is, sin and weakness do not define us. They mark the journey that we're on, perhaps some of our experience, but our identity as being righteous children of God is resolved forever, and our focus is on living in the power of God and gratefulness and thankfulness for the way that he's utterly transformed us. So just to finish, that's kind of, normally when I talk, I tell stories and testimonies, and I haven't had time to do that. But this journey of what we're experiencing versus the reality of what God is doing, sometimes we make that journey because it just happens because of the Spirit in us. Uh, we, we kind of understand changes we need to make and we can make them and so on. But sometimes we get stuck. And when we get stuck at, at, at kind of marrying our experience and our reality against the, our own versus the truth of what God has done, then we can come to the cross and find healing there. 
And that's another sermon. I've kind of done about 10 sermons in precisely 11 minutes and 25 seconds this morning. So all I can say on this is, if you're stuck, or if in the future you get stuck, there is a way to achieve healing. And great people in our church to talk about about that would be Cheryl, would be Rodney and Sonia, would be Henry and Anita, or any member of the leadership team and the Sozo team, because there is access to power to achieve uh, knowing the full glory of God in your life. And if you're new here or don't know those people, you can use the forms on the website that we've already talked about to let us know and we'll be delighted to pray with you and support you through that. That's a quick rush through a huge theological subject and I've gone two minutes over time for which I apologise.